Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. We are lesson 70 of the chronological gospels and uh, I kind of mapped out the next at least the next month and got to a point and I have to look for it. But I was excited because I've been trying to map this four gospels out and put them in some kind of chronological order. Others have done this. Uh, There is obviously disagreements on the exact order. Uh, between John and the Synoptic Gospels, and sometimes the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't quite seem to mesh real well. Uh, we'll come probably next week, or in a couple of weeks for sure, uh, talk about the healing of a blind man out of Jericho, and then one of the other Gospels mentions two men, where the one Gospel only mentions one, calls them by name, and so... It's not an easy task, but I was excited because I was mapping us through this portion of Scripture that will eventually get us over to Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, that speaks about the third time that Jesus announces to his disciples of his coming death, burial, and uh, resurrection of his crucifixion. And he forewarned them, and the three synoptic gospels talk about that. But that also brings us into a timeline of the last week of Christ, something that I mapped out years ago. I don't know where that map is. I think I know where it is. I'm hoping I can find it. But uh, we'll come into that final week of Christ. So we're getting there, but not quite. We're near, but not quite to that final week. And here in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew inserts something that none of the other Gospels uh, mention, and that is the parable of the vineyard workers. And so we're going to begin with that. But then after that, Matthew talks about this Jesus telling his disciples, as I just mentioned, beginning in Matthew 20, verse 17, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell of Jesus telling his disciples of this forthcoming death. And uh, there's some things that take place between this. John picks up some of that account. So we're going to go today from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, looking at the parable of the laborers. And then we're going to make our way over to John, chapter 11, uh, beginning in verses 1 through 16, And I titled that section, He Whom Jesus Loved. And then we'll go on from 17 to verse 27. He shall live. Uh, But that's not the end of the story. We have to come back next week to pick up the rest of uh, John chapter 11. It would have made the teaching way too long. And so we're going to cut it off right there. But we're going to look at Jesus and his love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and his interaction with Martha today. And so that's kind of the mapping out of where we're going today. I just wanted to mention, after teaching last week, I had a couple of brief uh, discussions, one talking about, based off of what I was 
speaking about the misinterpretation of the needle needle's eye or the needle's gate that for years, and this goes way back to the 1800s, preachers had talked about this gate. We looked at this last week, that when the main gates of a city was shut, they would have a smaller gate called the needle's eye. And uh, this was all based off of Jesus responding to the disciples saying, if the rich can't be saved, who then can be saved? So the Lord is dealing with the disciples' questions about the difficulty of salvation and through the misinterpretation of Jesus talking about the needle's eye, a lot of preachers have made it seem possible that we can, if we strip off enough of the load of this life, like a camel being stripped from his load, forced on his knees to crawl through this smaller gate, that there's a path of salvation for anyone who's willing to do that. But that totally goes against Scripture in the sense of we cannot work towards salvation, that it is a gift of God, it is by the grace of God. And so that kind of laid into the second conversation that I had with someone from the church uh, Sunday after the fellowship, talking about Jesus and his interaction with the rich young ruler where Jesus said to the rich young ruler, well, if you wish to be perfect, then there's one thing that you ought to do. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, pick up your cross, come and follow after me, which makes it seem that if you wish to be perfect, there is a path to salvation through works. So that seems to contradict, uh, by grace we are saved and not by works. But we need to remember that Jesus, in that timeline, in that setting, he had not went to the cross yet. He had not died. He wasn't buried. He hadn't resurrected from the grave. The path of salvation was Abrahamic righteousness, the keeping of the Mosaic law and temple sacrifice. And I would add to that, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. So when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler and even the disciples as they're trying to figure out the path of salvation that would soon be changed because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we're looking at really in some of these portions of the gospel what the people understood as the path of salvation from the Old Testament and that new covenant had not yet been given. It wasn't until the Lord died, until he was buried, he rose from the grave, that the new covenant that is mentioned, and it's mentioned several times in the New Testament, and these are four. I didn't, the list would have been too long. But he talks about a new covenant in Matthew 26, 28, Mark 14, 24, Luke 22, 20, and 1 Corinthians 11, 25. That with the new covenant comes salvation by grace and grace alone. The works then follow. But prior to that, it was uh, a works-based salvation combining with temple sacrifice. They, it wasn't works alone that would save you. There was always sacrifice in play. The little lambs, the oxen that they were used, the goats that were used, maybe a turtle dove. There was always a sacrifice in play. It was always by the blood that the sin was washed away. But there was going to be a change 
through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Some of that in the Old Testament, that Abrahamic righteousness, the law of Moses, the temple sacrifices, and that looking forward to the coming Messiah, Job declared he had that kind of faith. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand upon the earth. Job 19.26. But now... As Paul would tell us in Titus 3, verses 5 through 7, now believers who by faith, we look back to the work of Christ. The believers of the Old Testament were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Now we look back to that work in the sense of our salvation. We look forward to the Lord's second coming, of course. But in that sense of salvation, we understand that it's not by works of righteousness. Titus 3, verses 5 through 7 which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have been justified by grace. And then in verse 8, Paul says that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. So in that sense, we come to faith and the good works follow. But when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, that order was a bit reversed. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah at that time. And so when you're reading through the Gospels, realize that at this point, the Old Testament was still at play. I mean, that's all the scripture they had. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah. John the Baptist preached the repentance um, and the baptism for remission of sin, uh, standing upon the works of righteousness, but looking forward to the coming Messiah. So just kind of roll that in your mind as you're reading through the gospel. Sometimes it's like, that doesn't make sense. Well, we need to think about the timeline. And so just a little bit of that came out of last week's message. I don't mind talking about these things. I have to tell you, um, several years ago as a young preacher, I would have been challenged by these thoughts and questions. But I would prefer to have the questions and let's talk them through and let's uh, gain a better understanding of God's word. And let's do that by looking at beginning in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, the parable of the laborers. I'm going to read the context for us and then we'll get into the teaching of God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and he went about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, we I will give to you. And they went, and again he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his stewards, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. 
And when those who were hired about the eleventh hour, and they received a denarius, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received a denarius. And when they had received it, they murmured against the landowner, saying, The last men have worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. And I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own thanks? Or is it in your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. And for many are called, but few are chosen. First of all, I just want to point out that this parable ties back to chapter 19 because when Jesus explained to the disciples about the impossibility of salvation in Matthew 19:26 with men this is impossible but with God all things are possible he closed out that teaching saying but many who are first will be last and the first and the last will be first many who are first will be last and the last will be first so Jesus tags both this parable and talking about the impossibility of salvation by the works of men, but only through God, uh, with this same phrase. And so they're tied together. They're meant to be together. And so he gives this description of a landowner that goes out at the beginning of the day. They were day laborers, and they were looking for work, and they went to the common place where uh, they would go for their jobs of that day, and the landowner came out, and he hired several men. They agreed upon the pay. A denarius was a day's labor. And the fact that he paid them at the end of the day, uh, that is actually in the Old Testament law. They were not to wait like we are accustomed to, waiting till the end of the week or every two weeks getting pay. Uh, according to the Old Testament law, that you worked, you get paid that same day because the Lord was concerned about the need, especially those I like the day laborers who had great need to provide for themselves and for their families. And I've even seen uh, some advertisement of work today that uh, basically are telling people, it's usually in fast food places, you work, you get paid that same day. So God said it in the beginning, this is how it should be set up. And man said, no, that's not good. Let's pay him every week. Let's pay him monthly. Let's pay him every two weeks. And now they're discovering We need to pay these guys every day. Um, Just know that God's word is pretty wise in these things. Uh, We get accustomed to these things. But even now, uh, the daily wage is something that is anticipated for several people in our society to this day. So Jesus, this is a kingdom parable for the kingdom of heaven is like. So it's another kingdom parable that he gives us. So this is not just, it's not telling a story about a man who went out to hire laborers. It's talking about the issue of salvation and the responsibility of those who get saved, even though they come to faith at different points 
throughout their lives or throughout the day as he brings it into that one day look with these day laborers. Jesus actually said of the laborers in Luke 10, 7, the laborer is worthy of his hire. Again, when Paul's talking about uh, the pastoral rights to earn a living through the ministry, he referred back to the words of Jesus in Luke 10, 7 in 1 Timothy 5, 18. The laborer is worthy of his wages. And to this day, it speaks about earning that living from our wages. And they went about with this agreement, one denarius, a day's wage, for a day's work. But at the third hour, the Lord went out, verses 3 through 7. He went out at uh, the third hour, most likely at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. It was a 12-hour day, so this was a long day of labor, which kind of makes the accounts. I mean, they may have been used to 12-hour days. We are accustomed to eight-hour days. Uh, some work those long days, um, but, you know, when I was a brick mason and and it, it happened every summer because of days like this where you can't lay brick because it's too cold. Um, you get in the the season in here in the Midwest where construction really takes off and, you know, that season is limited. A lot of the contractors like the masons to work 12 hour days. And uh, I remember my boss telling me once, um actually telling the superintendent that they were requesting these long days for the Masons. And it's like, look, we can do it for a while, like for a week or two. But after that, production goes down because our bodies get tired. I mean, it's labor, right? And uh, these were long days. We went all the way to the 11th hour and the ones at the end complaining about getting the same pay by the way, I don't blame them. <laughs> I would complain too. Getting the same pay, saying they only worked an hour and they get as much as we agreed upon. That's not right. Well, in the laboring world, yes, we might feel that very same way. When the landowner, and this is the point that Jesus wants to show in verses 8 through 16, as he paid them out, um, the landowner giving the men who were hired in that last hour at the 11th hour a denarius, and he did the same for everyone, those who were hired at 5 p.m., at 3 p.m., at noon, at 9 a.m., and those who were hired at the very beginning of the day and worked all 12 hours, they all received the same wage. And it was the generosity of the landowner who did this. And yet those who had worked the length of the whole day, they were greatly disappointed because they received the same rate. Now Jesus is talking about the issue of salvation here. We tie it together again with the two phrases, Matthew 19.30, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first, in 20 verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first last. Why do you tie these together? Because the disciples, they said to Jesus that um, we have given up all to follow you. So kind of, what do we get? 
We've given up all. Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all, and we followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Won't our pay be greater? Won't our reward be greater? So it really seems that the Lord isn't talking about the heavenly rewards that we build up in heaven. He's talking about the issue of salvation here. That God graces everyone with eternal salvation, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His work upon the cross. Some of us will get saved earlier. I came to faith at seven years old. Others will come later, like the thief on the cross. Uh, He lived a horrible life. He did horrific things. He even admitted to the other thief that we rightly deserve this. But this man does not deserve this. He rightly stated to the other thief, we deserve to die. But Jesus doesn't deserve to die. And yet, when the man pleaded with Jesus, remember me when you enter the kingdom, Jesus responded to that thief saying, today you will be with me in paradise. If that's not a... a, Last moment, moment salvation, I don't know what is. That's why there's the hope. We have loved ones who haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're sick. They have a death sentence because of their illness. There's always that hope that they'll surrender their life, even at the very end. They receive the same salvation that we receive. And yet it seems to be the Lord is saying that those who are saved, no matter if you're saved at the beginning of the day, at the ninth hour, at the noontime, at three o'clock, at five o'clock, uh, at the last eleventh hour, nine a.m. that uh, nine p.m. I should say that we should faithfully serve the Lord with the time that we are given. Peter had said, "See, we have left all to follow you. Therefore, what shall we have?" To which Jesus pointed out that those who leave. In verses 28 through 30, those who leave house, parents, brothers, wives, children for the sake of God's kingdom will receive many times more in the presence and in the age to come eternal life. The issue is eternal life. This is what you're getting. You're going to be saved on into eternity. And I'm going to bless you in this life as well. So it will be the last will be first and the first will be last. This parable of the landowner, we find that the landowner is God. And the laborers are those who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Once in heaven, whether one of the twelve disciples or the last hour convert like the thief on the cross, we will all receive the wage of eternal life. And though many are called, not everyone will Receive the gift of salvation. The offer is there, but not everyone will be saved. But for those of us who come to faith in Jesus Christ, then we are, as this parable seems to point out, with the time that we've been allotted on this earth, do with the gifts that the Lord has given us, work, and the old hymn, will work till Jesus comes. We are to work with the time that God has allotted us because we're thankful for the salvation that he has given us. 1 John 5.11 says, In this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. 
So the goodness of God offers eternal life to everyone who believes in Jesus. And then we jump over to John chapter 11. It seems to fit in the timeline. John dealt with some things before Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. And uh, he's got to really put us a few weeks out before that time. And here it refers to the death of Lazarus. John 11, we're going to read the first 16 verses. And Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, and the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus heard that, and he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. I'm sorry, I giggled there, because that doesn't make sense. And that's what the disciples were thinking, too. He stayed two more days. Oh, he loves them. Let's hang out for a little while. Not, not ready to go yet. He stayed two more days in that place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you. And you're going there? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks, walks in the day, he does not stumble because... He sees the light of this world, but if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to him that I may wake him. And the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, and they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called Didymus, which means twin, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. So we have... It's nearing the time of Jesus going to Jerusalem officially at the triumphal entry, but this is a few weeks before. And Lazarus is sick. And here in this passage we have um, the last miracle, apart from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. John recorded seven miracles of Jesus in his Gospels. And this is the last recorded miracle that he records concerning the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. We also find in this passage, and today we'll look at it, the fifth I am statement of the seven I am statements that John recorded about Jesus. We come to number five and the seventh miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus is in Bethany. It's about two miles away from Jerusalem. And, and they were of Bethany, so this was their home. This is where Jesus lodged. Even in that final week, this is where Jesus lodged. We never read of Jesus spending the night in Jerusalem in the Gospels. He may have. We never read of it. In that final week, he always came to Jerusalem and returned to Bethany for the evening and would come back to Jerusalem in the morning. 
uh, staying there with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And so we find that this was Mary. John tells us plainly. So Mary was known to the church. This is the Mary that anointed Jesus with the oil and wiped her feet with her hair. We'll read about that in chapter 12, but he gives us a prelude of that here in chapter 11. Now they came and said to him, those who were sent by the sisters, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And John tells us in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha, her sister, doesn't name Mary, but Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. I want you to notice that in those two verses, John chapter 11, verse 3, and John chapter 11, verse 5, two different Greek words for love are used there. When they came to the Lord, they said, Lord, behold, he whom you love, phileo, brotherly love, is sick. Um, And then Jesus, John tells us, of Jesus in verse 5, Jesus loved agapeo or agape, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And so two different loves are being used in this passage. Jesus loves me, this I know. We talked about that, and we even sang a little bit of it at the close of the message last week. Well, what kind of love does the Lord have for us? Does he have a brotherly, a sisterly love toward us? That's what the men said to Jesus. He whom you phileo, he's sick. Or does he have an agape love toward us? It's an agape love. And agape love speaks about that love in action. It speaks about a love that is a giving love that expects nothing in return. John wrote a lot about this love of Jesus in his gospel. And here telling us of the agape love of Jesus toward Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Also mentioning himself as the disciples whom John, in John 13, 23, he said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus agaped. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not phileo, but agape. And John would use this. Even in John chapter 21, he has Jesus talking with Peter, and we'll find these two different Greek words at play again, with Jesus asking, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter responding at first saying, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I have this brotherly love toward you. And so the Lord, I believe he's always trying to lift us up to a greater aspect of his love. We think about church. We think about fellowship. We think about the body of Christ, the phileo love. It's a good thing. But God wants to bring us to that level of agape. And here, It is at play in this text. May we never forget the great agape love of God and Jesus toward all humanity. So he heard that Lazarus was sick. He stayed two more days. Doesn't make sense to us. But he had a plan that we didn't know about. We know about now because we're reading of it. But the disciples didn't understand this as well. And he decided, let's go. And the disciples then Tell Jesus, you do realize that they've tried to stone you a couple of times. We read about it twice at least, if not more, uh, just recently. Lord, they've tried to stone you recently. Probably better to stay away. I thought that's why we were hanging out in Galilee for so long. It's not safe in Jerusalem. 
or even to be near Jerusalem. Again, Bethany only two miles away. And sometimes we should understand that the Lord delays his work in our lives, like the miracle of healing and raising Lazarus. Sometimes he delays these works because he desires to do a greater work in our lives. We're praying for the Lord to do a certain thing. And the Lord is saying, you know, I got something better in plan. They were praying that the Lord would come and uh, heal Lazarus. And the Lord said to the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there to do that. Because I have something greater in store that you may believe. He was talking to the 12 who had followed him for three years. And he says, I have something greater in store. The Bible will tell us after this that many believe because of the fact of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the grave. Many believed in Jesus as a result of this. But Jesus points specifically to his disciples and says that you may believe. And we know that not all 12 would ultimately believe. So this was something that Jesus wanted to do to instill faith even in his own disciples, those who have been the closest to him. Jesus went on to talk about the 12 hours in a day, the light versus darkness in verses 9 and 10. And really seemingly talking about light versus darkness in the context of the spiritual warfare that takes place in this world. We are those who are to walk in the light, And those who are without Christ walk in the darkness, in the darkness of this world. The darkness speaks about the rejection of God and God's call upon someone's life. They walk in the darkness. We are to walk in the light. But also it may be speaking about the time that Jesus, in John's Gospel again, ten times, the Lord refers to his hour, saying, My hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. There's a point to where he says the hour has come. In John 12, 23, but it could be that this, it's not time yet, boys. I know they're going to kill me, but this is not yet the time. We're still in the day. I still have work to do. We are to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. In John 8, 12, it reminds us, I am the light of the world. Jesus speaking, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So, Jesus tells them, Lazarus sleeps. I need to go wake him. They thought if he's sleeping, he's resting, he's got to get well. It means that he is being healed. This is a good thing, Lord, that he sleeps. We don't have to go. Except they didn't understand what the Lord was talking about. Jesus had to plainly tell them, Lazarus is dead. Now that should have caused a question for the disciples. What does he mean he's going to wake him? See, Jesus had a greater intention than the servants, than Mary and Martha, than even the disciples understood because of his delay. He was going to do a greater work. And it was Thomas, who was called the twin, who said to his disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now, some may take this because Thomas is nicknamed Doubting Thomas because of his response after Jesus' resurrection, not seeing the resurrected Christ, 
But hearing the testimony that he is risen again, and Thomas would not see the Lord for another eight days. So Thomas doubted. He said, not until I see the nail scars in his hand and thrust my hand into his side. Again, gross. I don't know why he'd want to say that. But he was just saying, seeing is believing. In fact, he was saying, touching is believing. I got to see him. I got to touch him. This is that Thomas. But I don't think that this is the same Thomas here. I kind of think that Thomas was saying, let's go. We've been following the Lord up to this point. Let's keep going and die with him if necessary. I think this is a statement of faith, though his faith would falter. And you may disagree with me on this. I think this is a statement of faith. Let's go. Let's keep following him, even if we have to die with him. They went along with the Lord at that time. What kind of faith do you have in Christ Jesus today? Do you have that type of faith that um, even when it's difficult, even when it may seem dangerous, that you're willing to say to the brothers and sisters, even in this church, let's go. Let's go. Let's keep following him. Even if we die, let's go forward. That has been the faith of much of the church throughout the ages. In the first century church, it is said that the spread of the gospel was watered by the blood of the saints. When persecution began, they were wise in the sense that many of them scattered to safe places. And uh, many of them left Jerusalem to go live in other areas because it became so dangerous in Jerusalem when persecution came. It wasn't like, we're going to stick it out and we're going to die right here. Now, the Bible does tell us for a season the apostles stayed, but many, they scattered. And even in their scattering, the gospel was spread because of the scattering. That many in Judea and Samaria came to faith in Christ because of the persecution caused the believers to scatter out. And so we have to have wisdom in how we conduct ourselves, wisdom in the path we should take. But this should be our heart, that the Lord hasn't failed me yet. And so I will cling to him until my death, until my last day on this earth. I will hold true to Jesus Christ and all that he has called for me to do, to be faithful laborer, whether he calls early or calls late in this life. Now, your pastor is watching the time, and he knows he has another point to do. But I am going to be gracious to you, and we'll pick it up next week. It'll probably work out well. It'll give us all of John 11 to complete next week. But who knows what the Lord will cause me to talk about, and and we may get delayed again. I want us to see at the end of this, though, in the parable of the labors, in John 20, verses 1 through 16, we have seen that the goodness of God offers eternal life to everyone who believes in Jesus. And for those who have received the gift of salvation, they are to faithfully serve Jesus with what, what time they have been given whether they've been saved early in life or maybe later or somewhere in between. 
We are to serve Jesus with the time that we have been given. And right now, this is our time. And we also looked at John 11, verses 16 through, or verses 1 through 16, He whom Jesus loved. And may we be those who are willing to walk in the light of Jesus while it is day, in the light of Jesus' agape love. Eleven of the twelve disciples, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, were all willing to light, walk in that light of Jesus, who is the light. In 1 John 1, 7, understanding that we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Christ, His Son cleanses us from all sin. When we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have this fellowship with one another. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And so there it begins. Salvation begins with receiving the gift of Christ through a sacrifice upon the cross. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin, not our works as was the method of the Old Testament times. But today it's by grace you have saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift of God. And so, Father, we thank you for your word and for what you have taught us in it today. And we pray, Lord, that you would, if we are believers, Lord, that we would recognize the days that we live in, and that it is still light, although there is darkness all around us. It is still light, and we have time to serve, to work, till you come for us. May we work till you come. But also, Lord, for those who may have never received you as Savior, perhaps today will be that day of salvation for them. It begins with salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that if one has not received your gift of salvation today, May you bring them into the kingdom. And that is our prayer, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and worship. As you can see, Pastor Kevin is down front. For those who have any prayer need, if you're watching online through our social media uh, and you do have prayer requests or you have a desire to receive Christ as your Savior, please email us and that information um, is there for you. But you can find out all information about Calvary Chapel at cclv.org. And so I would encourage you to make contact with us. And we thank you for being with us this day.